0: Welcome to Insight, the insurance news podcast hosted by me, Andrew Salkox. In this week's edition of Insight, the Cockney rhyming slang bumper banking special edition. If you're like me and you have no interest in banking, you're not alone. But still, we review Suncorp's decision to sell its banking division. In a week of gold from AFCA hearings, what happens in Vegas doesn't always stay in Vegas, which is handy for our journalists. And if you're like me and wonder if this was supposed to be a podcast about insurance, We've got a spotlight of commissions just for you. Hello, everyone. This week, I'm joined by Chairman Terry McMullen, Editor John Deeks and Deputy Editor Wendy Pugh. Hello, Terry. Good morning. It was nice uh, of the Suncorp CEO to mark your special day with that announcement.
1: (laughs) It was very kind of him.
0: (laughs) Uh, Good morning, John. Hello. It's a bumper pod this week, isn't it, John? Uh, Yes. Plenty to discuss, as always.
2: And nothing about the weather. Hello, Wendy. Oh, hello, Andrew. Yes, that's a bit disappointing. No weather this week.
0: <laughs> well, you must have had a busy day yesterday with the Suncorp news.
2: Yes. Yeah, no, it's good to have something exciting. Well, look, it's been
0: talked about for years, but Suncorp has finally taken the plunge and sold its bank. Wendy, what does this mean for insurance?
2: Well, Suncorp's going to sell the bank to ANZ for 4.9 billion, but it will be a while before this gets completed because it has to get regulatory clearance uh, from the AC and because it's a, a bank merger also from the federal treasurer. So the company's aren't expecting it to be finalised until the second half of next year. But uh, one, assuming it goes through, um, Suncorp like IAG will then be completely focused on insurance and not have this you know, hybrid arrangement where they're both a you know a bank and an insurance company. So Sun. SunCorp says having that singular focus will be beneficial. But um, C- CEO Steve Johnston says there's, you know, overall there won't be any great change to their insurance strategy. But this will just sort of help power us along. Will
0: this have much impact, Terry, on the uh, industry?
1: On SunCorp, yes. Uh, on the industry at large, it may over time have have some impact. Four point nine billion in cash is always a nice injection, and it it may indeed allow senior management to focus on the main game, which is insurance. Time was when bank assurance, does anybody remember that term, (laughs) was meant to be the path to riches for all financial services group by combining all the growth and risk functions together. It hasn't worked out all that well. Banking and insurance are entirely different. The banks have sold off their insurance operations. And now Suncorp has sold off its bank. So everyone's sticking to their knitting or at least focusing on really what they're best at. So uh, yeah, let's wait and see what happens now.
0: Well, talking about focusing on what they're best at, we know there's going to be a spotlight on commissions this year. But strata commissions are more complex than most, Wendy. And there's an important report published last
2: week. Yes, Steadfast Commission consultant John Trowbridge to do a report into in strata insurance practices, uh, which are complicated by the fact there is an extra link in the chain there. So in between the insurer and the building owners committee or body, body corporate. You have strata managers and brokers and they're both acting as intermediaries and collecting fees or commissions. And often it's not clear to the building owners who's getting what money for what service and it makes it harder for them to compare quotes. So John Trowbridge has split his review into three phases and the first report has made recommendations on disclosure including the use of standard templates. So there's transparency around the total cost uh, and the, the building customers can see you know the various components. So after this, in phase two, we'll look at remuneration of intermediaries and possible reforms. And phase three, we'll consider competition, affordability and availability of strata insurance.
0: Well, John, normally I'd ask Terry this, but it was his birthday yesterday and your present to him would say that you would answer this.
2: What do you make of this issue?
0: Yes. Well,
3: I mean, strata insurance is is a bit more complicated than home insurance. and, And that's why you've got these strata managers involved as well as brokers, So if you can imagine, you know, setting up a policy or dealing with a claim when you've got possibly hundreds of property owners to deal with rather than just one, there's added complexity there. And that's why we need these uh, strata managers involved. Of course, how they're paid, they need to be paid, but how they're paid is, is the important thing. And whether that's through a fee or a commission, I'm sure will be debated in the coming months. But the one thing which does appear to be crucial is transparency, the consumer's deserve to be told how everyone's getting paid and and have a full understanding of that process. So I think that's, that's probably the most important issue that needs
0: to be dealt with first. There's nothing like an AFCA ruling to get to the heart of disclosure issues, John. And this week we had one on drunkies. That's right, we did. It was in our life insurance section.
3: This particular claimant had put a claim in for income protection benefits because he started to suffer from vertigo, dizziness, and chronic fatigue syndrome. Now, the claim was knocked back. And the reason was he had answered a question when he took out the cover Have you ever taken recreational or non prescription drugs? And he'd answered no. But the insurer, Tal, had gotten access to a medical report where he told his doctor that he had taken cocaine before. So the insurer said, if you told us this, we wouldn't have covered you. So we're not going to pay the claim. The complainant who took his case to AFCA said, well, look, it was a small use of cocaine. It happened when I was on a boy's weekend in Vegas and it had no impact on my health condition. But AFCA sided with the insurer. They said, no, the the question was clear. The answer was wrong. And so the insurer, which has shown it wouldn't have covered. The complainant, had he been clear about his drug use, was entitled to deny the claim. One other excuse that the the man used was that his father was... His advisor also and, and and helped him to fill in the forms, and he said, "Well, I was I was hardly going to talk about this with my dad, was I? But uh, again, Afca
0: wasn't wasn't moved by that reason. Is this a bit harsh, Terry? This one off and didn't
1: contribute to the claimant's condition. Oh, look, what happened to the rule that what happens in Vegas stays in Vegas? I'm really wary of commenting on Afca rulings, so thank you for asking me, but. I guess the question that that sort of comes out of all this is, is anyone in the world insurable? I mean, if this claimant had admitted on his application to doing a bit of blow on a wild weekend in Vegas, would the insurer have agreed to take him on risk, really? Because what he did is what a hell of a lot of Australians, including some of our listeners, have done in the past. And it doesn't automatically make them coke addicts or bad citizens unworthy of being covered. The insurer's question about drug use is pretty emphatic and the claimant was caught out in the lie, but there were circumstances around that. So, okay, it's all fair enough with the AFCA ruling, but it still sucks because the minor disclosure or non-disclosure really had no bearing on the causes of the person's claim. And for anyone wondering, I've never been to Las Vegas.
0: Well, on that note, this week we launched our second annual insurance news wellness survey. Terry, lockdowns are
1: over, aren't they? Why is this stuff important? Well Andrew last year when we published our first industry wellness survey we we were a bit overwhelmed at first by the number of responses and really by what people had to say it was of course at the end of lockdowns and yes we we all were a bit raw from the the whole experience this year we want readers to again answer a, a set of questions online about their continuing return to working normally how things have changed for them and their workplaces their attitudes and their professional lives how they've all changed the the thing that got me about the last survey was the diversity of experiences and the continuing stress that many people were feeling there were a lot of things that i'd never thought about that people had experienced by bringing those into one document we can form some picture of where insurance people are at and what employers need to do to meet new situations a lot of people told me last year's wellness survey was the first time they'd considered the impact of the, the pandemic on them as a group so here we go again let's see how we've changed adapted or maybe haven't since last year so Go to it, people. We need your input.
0: Well, John, to echo some of Terry's comments, there were some pretty stark findings from last year's survey, weren't there?
1: Yes, there were. Uh, and we had, uh, I think,
3: more than 800 people fill in the, the survey last year. And probably the most alarming finding was that 28% of respondents said that they had sought or considered expert or medical help due to mental health issues. Almost half of respondents were concerned about their mental health or well-being, with 60% experiencing isolation and anxiety. On the plus side, more than three quarters said their company had demonstrated positive awareness about those mental health issues. And there was a lot of debate about working from home. 80% said they'd like to retain some level of home working even after the lockdowns were lifted. So, I mean, we're hoping from the questions we've put out this year that we'll be able to find out just how many people are working from home and how they feel about that, as well as ongoing anxieties about COVID
0: and travel and so on. Well, finally, the industry's diversity and inclusion festival Dive In is returning this year, John. What can we expect?
3: That's right. Uh, Dive In is back with a theme of building braver cultures, and it's calling on the industry to build nurturing and encouraging environments. So the festival's held between uh, the 27th and the 29th of September, registration opens on August the 9th. If you look at our uh, bulletin this week, you'll find that uh, there's already a list of events in Australia and New Zealand. It's not quite finalised yet, but there's already about 20 events scheduled in this part of the world. There seems to be a, a focus this year on disability and neurodiversity, which is, I guess, an aspect of inclusion which hasn't had a lot of publicity through dive in previously so that'll be that'll be interesting and of course there's all the the issues around uh, race and gender that we've talked about so many times before progress has been made obviously over the years and since in has been launched been going several years now but nobody thinks we're we're there yet. We, we, the industry
1: still has a lot of work to do on these issues.
0: Are disability and neurodiversity issues thats the industry needs to work on, Terry?
1: Oh, I think words like neurodiversity is just another long word that says we live in a, a fast-changing world and people's differences, whatever they are, are just that, differences. The, the trick is learning how to accept and and actually profit from having people around you who have very different approaches to life. Lloyd's has taken a lead role globally in helping people see the insurance industry they work in in different ways. The chairman of Lloyd's, John Nelson, was really first raised awareness that a, a global operation staffed almost entirely by people who all look the same and talk the same wasn't the best way to do business in a diverse world. And then uh, the amazing Inga Beal got the Dive-In Festival off the ground. Companies are learning to be bolder in the way they choose and develop staff and future decision makers. And really embracing differences is what it's all about. So dive in. Well,
0: that brings us to the end of this week's Insight Podcast by Insurance News. Thank you once again to our panel, Wendy Pugh, John Deeks, and Terry McMullen. Enjoy your week and thank you all for listening. If you have any questions or comments, please email us at editor at insurancenews.com.au. We value your input. You can read all these stories and many others at your leisure at news.com.au. You can subscribe to the Insight Podcast on iTunes, Spotify, Acast, on all your favorite podcast platforms now. We look forward to catching up again next week.